Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. What's up, my beautiful marketing people? Welcome back to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. Joining me today is the founder of IQ Bar, and that is Will Nitza. Will, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. Now, I want to jump right in. I saw, I went back 2018, I looked at the Kickstarter campaign. You guys crushed it with that. Was that always the plan when you were like formulating this? Were you thinking like, okay, I want to go to Kickstarter first? Did you have other investment? Like walk me through the process of deciding to go the Kickstarter route to kind of get the wheels rolling. Sure. So yeah, I had a job at the time. I graduated college in 2014 and I went into software. I was selling and marketing software to oil and gas companies, which is about as dry as it sounds. But I had a job when I first started ideating around IQ bar and prototyping and things like that. So I think some people will, you know, for a food and beverage product, they'll start making something in their kitchen and they'll sell it to their neighbors. And then maybe they get a start in a commissary kitchen and they sell it to some bodegas near them and kind of just slowly grow that concentric circle. And I was not interested in that. I wanted to like, I wanted to validate whether this was an idea the market wanted rapidly. And so I needed some mechanism to do that. And I also had no money. So I needed to solve the chicken rag problem of, you know, paying for products to then sell to people to then get paid for to then pay for more product. I didn't have that initial money to do that. So I needed to sell pre-orders. And there's really no other way to do that other than crowdfunding. So yeah, it was definitely on my radar from the get-go. And I don't know that it's still as good a way to launch a company as it was in when I did it in 2018. But at the time, it was a really great way to start. Yeah, I think it's, at least from what I've seen with successful crowdfunding, it really is that story, the hook, the video. Like I saw y'all had a produced video. Did you go, was that like the invest, was there a marketing or an investment, you know, in that video and then a marketing plan for the Kickstarter to get this going where you're like, all right, I'm going to use like what I got to kind of get the wheels underneath this. Or was it, you know, leaning on the network that maybe you'd built previously? I mean, yeah, we, we had a video. It was, I would say a low to medium production value video, which is fine. Like that's kind of what is expected, but you do need a video and it needs to be decent. I think, you know, you just have to set goals and expectations and then do what it takes to hit those. So to do, let's say like a 50K plus Kickstarter, just hard to do in in food and beverage. Food and beverage is not really like the sweet spot for Kickstarter. But in order to do that, you're just going to have to have a pretty good video. You're going to have to have a really good page, really good architecture of uh, backing benefits or whatever they're called, you know, what you're, what people are getting for their money. And then there's a whole host of other things you will want to do. And what I found, so the video is one, but what I found was, you know, if you look at all the blog posts and things like that written on the topic, they're all true and they all give pretty good advice. And there's like basic blocking and tackling of how do you run a good campaign, but they're not going to really tell you things that are a little bit crazier that that will work. So like, for example, what, what I did was, I mean, I did a couple really crazy things. One was I aggregated a massive, massive, massive list of email addresses, none of which had opted in to hear from me. And they predominantly came from, so I went to Harvard undergrad and at the Harvard library, I still live in Boston, so I can go back there. At the library, they have these things called Red Books, which is an alumni book and you open it up and it has everyone's email address. It's like name you know, spouse, where do they live and their email address, which is kind of kind of nuts, like for every year. So I literally went through every book and took 
snap photos of every page. And then I uploaded it into a picture to text converter and then pulled out all the emails. And then I did the same thing for Harvard Business School where I found a login. I knew a guy who had an alumni login. I was able to extract every Harvard Business School email address. And I actually didn't have the email address. They just had first name, last name. And I was able to like triangulate 97% of people who had ever gone to HBS through their advanced search filters. You just change permutations of interests, what clubs were they a part of, and then just dedupe the whole thing at the end. And then they all have the same convention. So concatenate first, you know, first letter, first name, last name at HBS, whatever. So I created these like massive, massive email lists and opened a mail MailChimp account. And I used my Harvard alumni email address as like the reply to. So because I knew I was going to get absolutely roasted with marking as spam, unsubscribes, whatever. I didn't want to hurt my domain score. So I used my Harvard alumni <laughs> email address. <laughs> but yeah, so and then created some basic email flows of like, hey, my name's Will. I was class of whatever. You know, I have this project I'm interested in, you know, I'm really passionate about. Please consider supporting it. And I blasted that to like 150,000 people. And it was super, super successful. Like it, we got a ton of money from that for free. Right. Like the game you're playing is like, how do you get backers for the least amount of dollars possible or ideally for free? And that had the benefit of being free. I mean, minus my time. So you're not going to find that in a blog, right? Because it's like gray area type stuff. But that's what worked. And then just like friends and family was massive. And, you know, we tried everything. We tried Facebook ads and things like that. But no one wants like if you think it's tough to have a good converting Facebook ad for a shop that exists, try having a good converting one for something saying, hey, yeah, give me money now and I might ship you something in six months. Like that's not going to work. We tried it and, you know, unsurprisingly, it didn't work. But there's a lot of stuff, too, within like the platform of momentum you can build. So if you exceed your your goal early, you might get on the front page of your you know, food and beverage section or whatever your category is. And then that generates a bunch of organic backings. And then if you get into their newsletter, that's a whole nother set. And then there's all these things you can do where you send updates where you cross sell other campaigns and then they do the same for you. And that pulls in more people. So there's all this stuff you can do. But the biggest needle movers for us were kind of the honestly, like the gray area, hacky gorilla. Type I love stuff. it. I love it, but it's like leaning into the share. Okay, it's a cold-ish email because you're able to, you did go to the school, you have the shared identity marker of alumni. Okay, that's going to get that open up. Oh, I want to support this person because we have this shared identity and that can be anything from a school down to a sports team to whatever. Hey, you live in this part of town. Like all of those shared identity markers, I think will make people just a little bit more receptive to that initial message. And then if they see, especially HBS, you're looking at things like they probably have purchasing power. List has purchasing power. Okay, make a $40 donation, like no sweat off their back, you know, to see if you're able to make it happen. So I, I love that. So you did that. You went through that. Now let's fast forward, right? That was 2018. We're 2023 now. I just saw, I saw you posted on LinkedIn that, you know, you had a revenue goal. It was like a lofty goal. And then you had a big order come in to kind of like, knocked your socks off. I believe that was at the start of February. You had a $1.5 million order. I want to talk to you about one, the feeling when that hits, but two, how do you regulate and manage your emotions to be like those massive orders and then coming back to kind of like, that's a grand slam, but then getting back to like, okay, tomorrow you got to hit singles and doubles until, you know, 
another maybe grand slam comes. How do you manage the emotions through big wins, losses, but also just kind of that consistent growth? I've had so many ups and downs that you're kind of, I don't know, this may not be a good thing, but you're almost like you're, you have like a pain tolerance or an emotional volatility tolerance or whatever. But after like three, four years in the game, it's kind of funny. You, you get that and you're like, hell yeah. And then you move on literally 10 minutes later. Whereas like if that happened in, you know, 2019, I'd be like popping champagne. And so it's just weird. You ratchet up every year, your expectations and you never, never, never are satisfied, or at least I'm not. So when that happened, I'm like, good, that should have happened. Like what's next instead of elation or whatever. So probably not good. You probably should celebrate that more than I did, but, um, I don't know. I've just developed this like cold, hard, steely uh, response to things like that happen. And it's just like, good. We planned for that to happen. It did happen. Let's go make these other 10 things happen. Because we set really aggressive goals. And it's like, you have to not bat a thousand to make it happen, but you have to bat like 800 to make it right. happen. So that's just one of the 800. We have seven more pins we got to knock down. No, it makes so much sense. And I'm with you. It's like you get those entrepreneurial battle scars that just make you, you feel like cold hearted, but it's, I don't think it's that. I think it's like, oh, I've walked this path before. So I'm not, I've had a win before, or I've had a loss before. Cool. Like I'm not going to ride the roller coaster. I know this is part of the game, but I was listening to Tony Robbins talk at some event and he goes, you know, entrepreneurs, he's like, we just constantly punt, move the goal line, right? The goal line's always 10 yards away, always 15 yards away. So you're always moving it. He's like, but it is useful at least to like take one day a year. He's like, that can be your birthday or whatever to be like, oh, I did that. And really like kind of take a day to celebrate it. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs I talk with don't even like celebrating their own birthday. They're always like, I didn't accomplish anything that day. I just didn't die. So like, <laughs> what are the next? <laughs> so I always find that to be this like interesting counterbalance of like, I want to push forward to achieve these things but I also need to make sure that I take it. I think it's whatever motivates you. Like, I think I don't need, I am that guy. I don't celebrate my birthday and I am like, oh, it's just another day. Like, let's keep going. I think that's a pretty miserable way to lead your life in the long term. But I think for better or worse, like, I don't know, just that cold heart efficiency is, is useful in the short term. But it's weird. I like compartmentalize sections of my life and like, you know, I'll have a two, three, four, five year period where I'm like, this is just the grind period and I'm not going to go on vacation. I'm not going to do this or that. Again, I don't know if that's the right move. I'm an N of one. I can only speak to my own experience, but that is my move, you know, thus far. It does change. You get like the pressure does relieve a bit once you have, you know, you go from, because I was a one person company and then you go to a two person company. It's like, ah. Oh, okay, this person handles ops and supply chain and I handle sales and marketing. And then you have three and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Now I have someone running e-com. And then you have four and okay, cool. Now, you know, someone's running creative and social media and then keeps expanding. And then you're just like, well, oh crap, we have to do, we have to sell twice as much stuff. So it's, it's, it's not actually relieving you that much. It's just, you're fighting to sort of tread water. Ideally, there's a light at the end of the tunnel there. Yeah, it's the pressure changes, right? And it's, uh, I'm with you on the like, if you people who don't take vacation work and leaning into work and all of this, like, you know, there's a million and one blogs on the internet talking about work life balance, work life integration. But I'm a big believer in that, like, 
each individual person has to find the recipe and the formula that works for them. That thing that, you know, gets the juices flowing. And it's easy for somebody else on the outside to be like, that's, you're a workaholic or whatever. You do this or you do that. And it's like, well, this is what I like doing. This is like, you know, nobody thought it's easy to argue with the method, but then like when the results are there too, it's hard to be like, okay, well, that's what I wanted to do. I'm seeing the results. Like you said, you're starting to see these things, these dominoes fall. It's like, well, that was always the plan. And I love that because I always draw things back to like sports. I'm like, well, Kobe Bryant was up at 4 a.m. at the gym. Like people probably thought he was crazy, but it's like, well, he wanted to do that after he'd already won five championships and was lean. That's just who he was, you know, like kind of living your truth as an entrepreneur, I think can be so powerful, which kind of leads me to the next question, which I want to talk to you about is CPG has been on this wild, wild run. The last four or five years, I feel like the market has just almost inverted itself with one access to money access to capital, the importance, quote unquote, or I would say perceived value of brand and DTC versus, you know, velocity in stores. Um, And there's a lot of, I want to do what the company down the road is doing. And maybe I think a lot of people are kind of losing their North Star and they're just trying to find any little tactic or anything they can do to drum up sales. And a lot of like, so I just, I'm interested to get kind of your take on the state of CPG and You've been going down this road, you know, for a couple of years now and how you've seen it change and where you might see things going. Yeah, there was a period there where like D to C was the move. And I guess like the, the first sort of bright spot in that movement was like a native deodorant or a MVMT watches or there's some of these things where it's like, okay, that's the blueprint. That's the plan. That's the North Star. Just don't worry about brick and mortar. Don't worry about Amazon. You don't get to keep your customer's data with Amazon brick and mortar. You get virtually no customer data, like just do D to C. That's the way that actually was great for a very long time. And then, you know, iOS 14.5 happened, COVID happened with e-com going up and then coming all the way back down, reverting to the mean. And I think everyone was just sort of like drunk on artificial dynamics for a while there. And I mean, my personal belief is that omni-channel is and always has been the answer, just like a diversified stock portfolio has is and always has been the answer. To only be D to C is not diversified. And it's so funny. It's like the crypto people who now all, all they talk about is AI. It's like, you know, the D to C people are all like, never do Amazon and then had 10 reasons why, and literally all of them now do Amazon. People who are absolutist about go-to-market strategies, just wait three, four or five years and see how they act then. But yeah, I mean, from the get-go, we our perspective was, let's try every go-to-market strategy. You know, we started with Kickstarter, then we rolled that into a website, then we layered on Amazon, and then we started trying to get into brick and mortar. You know, we tried to get into food service, meaning like, servicing offices and cafes, quick service restaurants, things like that, because we didn't know what would stick. I mean, and this is my first business and I had no background in consumer goods, let alone food uh, and beverage consumer goods. So you just don't know. So try everything. And what we learned is D2C works pretty well. Amazon works really well and brick and mortar works really well. So fast forward to today, you know, we have a a large business in all three of those areas. And they're all a flywheel for the other. Like, you know, people will see us in Sprouts and then buy us on our site or on Amazon, or they'll see us on Amazon, then they'll see us in Walmart, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of, I've always been on the omni-channel train and it seems like 
other folks are coming around to that, but there is still a bit of a echo chamber around D to C even, even today. Oh yeah. I'm with you. And you said it well, like the absolutist where I'm like, absolutes are for children. Don't cross the street when, you know, when it's red and it's like, as an adult, I think it's Bill Burroughs is the word. He's like, no, when you're an adult, you look and see, oh, there's no cars. I can, I can jaywalk, right? Like new information can change the situation and getting married to one channel. Yeah. Is a way when the market then has a massive change, if you're just married to that channel, it's like, you can't lean on the other two to maybe keep you afloat or like, you know, it could be the difference between having to let people go or not. If it's like, if you have, you know, a COVID-19 that shuts down retail and that's all you were leaning on, or if you're on premise or whatever your plan was. So I'm with you on that, having, having the diversified approach and, and looking at that. Speaking of that, and what do you all at IQ Bar look at from a marketing KPI standpoint? Is it like MER? Do you have just boxes sold? What's the KPI that you're going off internally? Yeah, it is MER, CAC cool. to, you know, LTB to CAC, all the same ones kind of everyone uses. And Jess, who runs, uh, my wife actually runs our e-commerce business. Like She's like the CEO of our e-commerce business, more or less, is always tracking that and twisting dials there. And we have an Amazon, a really good Amazon agency, although we heavily heavy oversight over them and d2c like an agency that does sms and email and but yeah nothing mer cac ltv usual those yeah. are the big ones you said there too your wife's involved in the company i'm interested and for those listening that have their partner in the business in one way or another i do a lot of work with my fiance so i'm always interested how other people do this how do you all have the home office situation set up are you in different rooms, different side of the house? Do you one person go to a co-working? Like, what's that look like? Yeah. Well, so we're in the same home, same apartment. We were in the same office for a bit. That was not a good idea. So yeah, we're on opposite sides of the apartment. I have a desk in my living room and then she has her own room over there. It's funny because we'll get on, like any third party you get on a Zoom with or whatever, and it's me and her and they don't realize we're in the same apartment. They usually don't realize we're married until so, like someone says something where it's like, oh, you guys are married and in the same place right now. But no, I mean, it's good. I I guess I've been doing it long enough where I don't even, I don't even know how else I would do it. Like I, I struggle to even really clearly remember how it was before. Like that whole dynamic of you sit down at the end of the day and you're like, how was your day? It's like, it's not there. You, you know exactly how my day was and vice versa. So you do get a little bit of a risk of like all you're ever talking about is work, which is is the case a bit. I, I won't lie and say it isn't, but you get all these other benefits of like you streamline your your personal work stream, you know, your work streams of your life of office, home, etc. Uh, your life gets more efficient, I guess is a way of putting it. So it's been great, and it's it's anti dilutive, anti dilutive, because you, know, you hire someone. And you issue them options and while well, you deleted yourself, but didn't delete your family. So it's like, there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of benefits to it. I'm with you on that. It's funny. We have the same setup where I'm on one side of the house and then she's on the other and we'll like get lunch together. And like you said, there's a lot of like, you talk about work all the time, but getting like, okay, we need to like go for a walk with the dog. And like, we're not going to talk about work for this, whatever 30 minute thing. And like, try to whatever that may be, right? Leaning into some other things. But I'm, I'm with you on the uh, non-dilutive aspect and also knowing, you know, you know how people's day were the entire time. Much more efficient, not a lot of time in cars. So that's huge. Cool. Well, I want to know what's next for IQ Bar. I saw 
some electrolyte mix? Is that new? Is that going to be, is it leaning into an IQ as a brand? Is it kind of keeping the, the staple into bars? What's the next thing for you all as a company? Yeah, I mean, there's this dichotomy among CPG brands where where you either go in the single form factor direction or you go in the platform direction. So like Primal Kitchen would be an example of a platform. You know, they have a variety of things, mayo, salad dressing, this, that, um, or like on it. If you're familiar with on it, they have a bunch of different supplements, but also food. And so that those are platforms. And then you have like on the other side, let's say RX Bar, which I guess now does sell other stuff, but the vast majority of their life cycle was their bar company. And they're going to scale that form factor to infinity. And that they're, that's the horse they're riding in on. And I've always been more interested in the platform side. And it's the same dynamic. You know, dovetails with that same dynamic of, of diversification, of go-to-market diversification or stock portfolio diversification. You know, if you can play in multiple categories that are non-cannibalistic, meaning you're not consuming this instead of that, but you could instead consume this and that in the same day and be happy about it, that's awesome because it allows you to hit more touch points throughout the consumer's day allows you to upsell, you know, it's harder to upsell someone if they bought five boxes of bars to upsell them a sixth box of bars, but it's not that hard to upsell them hydration because it's totally different, right? It's like, and so we looked at categories and we have a little check. What are the requisites for us going into a category? And they're things like long shelf life, minimum 12 life, 12 months, um, ideally more, really favorable weight to price point ratio, really favorable dimension to price point ratio, big market, growing market, can we meaningfully differentiate ourselves in that market? What is the manufacturing complexity to get this done? What's the R&D timeline to get this done? Blah, blah, blah. So if everything checks the box, which hydration for us did, then we were interested in moving into it. So yeah, hydration. Our hero line is called IQ Bar, which is plant protein bars. And then IQ Mix was the first new product line. So you can kind of think of like liquid IV minus sugar plus brain nutrients nutrients being magnesium L3 and 8, which is a special form of magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier and lion's mane. And yeah, it's been great. I think it'll be a three to $4 million product line this year. So started it about a year and a half ago. And then we're moving into coffee with IQ Joe, pour hot water, rip it, pour it in, stir it, drink it. Instant coffee is a really exciting category. It's kind of having a renaissance not even a renaissance, I guess it was, wasn't cool before. It's becoming cool. So yeah, it, that checked all those boxes too. And so now we're going to, IQ Bar will be the parent entity and then IQ Mix by IQ Bar and IQ Joe by IQ Bar are going to be the extensions. But it'll always be, the bars will always be the hero, like mothership. I love that. I love that idea too of just like taking the brand or the platform, stretching it across. What's our consumer's day look like and at what touch points can we help them? out through that, whether it's the coffee in the morning, the hydration, you know, before exercise or doing something and then protein and stuff afterwards or whatever that aligns throughout the day. So I love that. I love that idea and the execution. Yeah, it looks great. So Will, thank you so much today for coming on the show, taking the time for anybody who wants to learn more about the company, grab some of the products, where should they go? And then two, where should they connect with you online? Yeah. So eatiqbar.com is our is our website at eat IQ bar is our social handles. We're in a bunch of grocery stores. Uh, so you, we have a store locator on our website. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Will Nitza, N-I-T-Z-E. You can follow my random harebrained musings there. Yeah, I think that's about it. 
Awesome. I will put links to both of those in the show notes. So wherever you're watching this, scroll down, go check out IQ Bar, grab yourself some of their product. Will, thanks again for coming on the show today. Absolutely. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.